Section 26 of The Waning of the Middle Ages, A Study of the Forms of Life, Thought, and Art, in France and the Netherlands in the 14th and 15th centuries. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Waning of the Middle Ages by Johann Huizinga, translated by Frederick Jan Hopman. Section 26 verbal and plastic expression compared part two other episodes furnished chatelain with themes for striking descriptions such as the judicial duel between the two burghers of valenciennes mentioned above the nocturnal quarrel at the hague between the envoys of friesland and some burgundian noblemen whose sleep they disturbed by playing at touch and go in the room above on their patents the riot at ghent in fourteen sixty seven at the entry of the new duke charles which coincided with the fair of howtham whither the people were in the habit of taking the shrine of st levon in a procession in all these pages we admire the author's faculty of observation a number of spontaneous details betray his strongly visual perception the duke facing the rebels sees before him quote, a multitude of faces in rusty helmets framing the grinning beards of the villains biting their lips the lout who forces his way to the window by the duke's side wears a gauntlet of blackened iron with which he strikes the window-sill to command silence the gift of finding the right and simple word accurately to describe things seen is at bottom the same visual power which enables van eyck to give his portraits their perfect expression only in literature this realism remains enslaved by conventional forms and suffocated under a heap of arid rhetoric in this respect painting was greatly in advance of literature it was already expert in the technique of rendering the effects of light miniature painters especially were occupied with the problem of fixing the light effect of a moment in painting the effect of a light in the dark was first successfully achieved by Gürchen of st jan of harlem in his nativity but long before this the illuminators had tried to render the light of the torches reflected on the cuirasses in the scene of the apprehension of christ the master who illuminated the Quertemors esprits by king rene had already succeeded in painting a sunrise and the most mysterious twilights the master of the Euse d'ali a sun breaking through the clouds after a thunderstorm on the other hand the literary means for rendering the effects of light were still primitive but perhaps we should seek in another direction the literary equivalent of this faculty for fixing the impression of a moment it would rather seem to lie in the current use in the literature of the fourteenth and fifteenth centuries of oratio recta at no other epoch has the effect of direct speech been so eagerly sought the endless dialogues of which Brossard makes use, even to make a political situation clear, are often empty enough, nay, even tedious. Still, sometimes the impression of something immediate and instantaneous is produced in a very vivid manner. For instance, in the following dialogue, which we should think of as being shouted, in translation, then he heard the news that their town was taken. And by what people? he asks those with whom he was speaking answered 
they are Bretons. Ha, says he, Bretons are bad people. They will pillage and burn and afterwards depart. And what war cry do they cry? said the knight. Sure, my lord, they cry La Tremule. To quicken the movement of the dialogue, Frossart is rather too fond of the trick of making one interlocutor repeat with astonishment the last words of the other again in translation my lord gaston is dead dead said the count indeed he is dead in sooth my lord and elsewhere again in translation so he asked him for counsel in matters of love and lineage the archbishop answered counsel sure good nephew it is too late for that you want to shut the stable when the horse is lost poetry too used the trick of short alternating sentences a good deal again in translation death i complain of whom of you what have i done to you you have taken my lady that is so tell me why it pleased me you mistook here the means have become the object the virtuosity of these jerky dialogues was carried to an extreme in the ballad of jean Mechineau, in which france accuses louis the eleventh in each of the thirty lines questions and answers alternate sometimes more than once still this bizarre form does not destroy the effect of the political satire this is the first stanza again in translation sire what do you want listen to what to my case speak out i am who devastated france by whom by you how in all estates you lie i do not who says so my sufferings what do you suffer misery which the extremity of misery i do not believe a word of it evidently do not say any more about it alas i must it is no use what a shame what have i done ill you have sinned against peace and how by warring with whom with your friends and kinsmen speak more pleasingly i cannot in truth with frossart the sober and accurate description of outward circumstances sometimes acquires tragic force just because it leaves out all psychological speculation as for instance in the episode of the death of young gaston phoebus killed by his father in a fit of anger frossart's soul was a photographic plate under the uniform surface of his own style we may discern the qualities of the various storytellers who communicated to him the endless number of his items of news for example all that was told him by his travelling companion the knight espang du lion has been admirably rendered in short whenever the literature of the period works by means of direct observation without conventional trammels it approaches painting without however rivalling it therefore we should not look for the equivalents of painted landscapes or interiors in literary descriptions of nature painting of the fifteenth century produced marvels of perspective 
because there the masters could let themselves go as landscapes were accessory and did not suffer from the same severe restrictions as the principal subject notice the contrast between the principal scene and the background of the adoration of the magi in the très riche issues de chantelet the figures in the foreground are affected and bizarre the scene is overcrowded whereas the view of bourges in the distance attains a perfect serenity and harmony in literature on the other hand the feeling for nature was not free neither was the manner of expressing it love of nature had taken the form of the pastoral and was therefore controlled by sentimental and ascetic convention the poems in which the beauty of flowers and the song of birds are sung proceed from an inspiration quite different from that which gave birth to painted landscapes literature in describing nature moves on another plane than painting nevertheless it is in the pastoral that we can trace the development of the literary feeling for nature side by side with the poems of alain chartier noted above we may place those of the royal shepherd rené singing in a disguised form his love for jeanne de laval in the pastoral poem of renaud et johnston there we find ingenious gaiety and freshness the king even tried not without success to render the effect of night closing in but all this is far from being great art like that of the calendars in the breviaries the pictures of the months in the calendar of the tres riches issues de chantelet enable us to compare the expression of the same motif in art and in literature and that strongly in favor of the former the reader will remember the glorious castles which ornament the background of the miniatures of the brothers of limburg september with the vintage in progress and the castle of Saumur rising like a vision behind it the steeples and towers with their high weather vanes the pinnacles and the graceful chimneys all shooting up like tall white flowers against the deep blue of the sky or december and the sombre towers of incense looming threateningly behind the leafless woods what means or methods had a poet like eustace deschamps at his disposal to rival scenes like these when he produced a sort of literary counterpart to them in a series of poems in praise of seven castles of northern france the description of architectural forms at which he tried his hand in the lines devoted to the castle of bevray was by no means successful so he limited himself to enumerating the delights which these castles provided thus speaking of beauté he says again in translation his eldest son the dauphin of viennois gave this spot the name of beauty and justly for it is very delectable one hears the nightingale sing there the river marne surrounds it the lofty pleasant woods of the noble park may be seen waving on the wind meadows are near pleasure gardens the fine lawns beautiful and clear fountains also vineyards and arable lands turning mills plains beautiful to view what a difference between the effect of these lines and that of the miniature and yet the method is the same it is an enumeration of the things seen or in the case of the poet things heard 
but the view of the artist embraces a definite and limited space in which he not merely has to collect a number of things but also to harmonize and blend them into a single whole in the miniature of february paul of limburg assembled all the peculiarities of winter peasants warming themselves before the hearth the wash drying crows on the snow the sheepfold and beehives the barrels and the cart and the wintry landscape in the background with the tranquil village and solitary house on the hill all this mass of details is worked into the peaceful harmony of the landscape and the unity of the picture is perfect the poet on the other hand suffers his gaze to roam at will but never concentrates it and there is no framework to compel him to give unity to his work in an epoch of preeminently visual inspiration like the fifteenth century pictorial expression easily surpasses literary expression although representing only the visible forms of things painting nevertheless expresses a profound inner sense which literature when it limits itself to describing externals wholly fails to do the poetry of the fifteenth century often gives us the impression of being almost devoid of new ideas the inability to invent new fiction is general the authors rarely go beyond the touching up embellishing or modernizing of old subject matter what may be called stagnation of thought prevails as though the mind exhausted after building up the spiritual fabric of the middle ages had sunk into inertia the poets themselves are aware of this feeling of fatigue deschamps laments again in translation alas it is said that i no longer make anything i who formerly made many new things the reason is that i have no subject matter of which to make good or fine things in the fifteenth century the old romances of chivalry are recast from verse into very prolix prose this unrhyming derimage is another sign of the general stagnation of fancy nevertheless it marks at the same time an important broadening of the general conception of literature in the more primitive stages of literature verse is the primary mode of expression as late as the thirteenth century every subject even natural history or medicine seemed to lend itself to treatment in verse because the principal mode of assimilating a written work was still hearing it recited and getting it by heart even the chansons de geste it seems were chanted to a uniform melody individual and expressive declamation as we understand it was unknown in the middle ages the growing predilection for prose means that reading was superseding recitation another custom dating from the same epoch testifies to this transition namely the division of a work into small chapters with summaries whereas formerly scarcely any division had been thought necessary in fifteenth-century literature prose was to a certain degree the more refined and artistic form the superiority of prose is however purely formal it lacks novelty of thought just as much as poetry froissart is the type of this extreme shallowness of thought and faculty of expression the simplicity of his ideas is surprising only three or four motives or sentiments are known to him fidelity honor cupidity courage 
and these in their simplest forms he uses no allegorical or mythological figures never touches on theology and even moral reflections are almost wholly absent he goes on narrating without effort correctly and yet he remains empty because he has but the mechanical exactitude of a cinematograph his moral reflections when they do occur are so commonplace as to be almost bewildering certain conceptions are with him always accompanied by fixed judgments he cannot speak of germans without recalling their cupidity and their barbarous treatment of prisoners even the quotations from Prosart, which are currently presented to us as piquant prove when read in their context to lack the point attributed to them on reading his appreciation of the first duke of burgundy of the house of valois again in translation wise frigid and imaginative and far-sighted in business we think we have lighted upon a penetrating and concise analysis of character only Prosart applied these terms to almost everybody the poverty and sterility of Frossard's mind as compared with chatelain's for example is all the more evident as his style is wholly devoid of rhetorical qualities now it is rhetoric which in the literature of the fifteenth century signalizes the coming of the new spirit for readers of that age lack of novelty in the matter was made up for by the ascetic enjoyment of an ornate style everything seemed to them to be new when garbed in far-fetched and turgid phrases it is an error to suppose that only literature cultivated this stylistic ornamentation and that art was exempt from it art also displays the same pursuit of novelty and rich variety of expression in the pictures of the brothers van eyck there are parts which might be called rhetorician like for example the figure of st george presenting canon von de pale to the virgin at bruges the magnificent helmet the gilt armor in which a naive classicism is apparent the dramatic gesture of the saint all this is closely akin to chatelain's grandiloquence the same tendency recurs in the figure of the archangel michael in the small triptych of dresden and in the group of angels singing and playing on the altarpiece of the lamb it is also present in the work of the brothers of limburg for instance in the bizarre magnificence of their adoration of the three magi unless the ornate form be so charming and so novel as to suffice in itself for giving life to a piece of verse the poetry of the fifteenth century is happiest when it is not aspiring to express an important thought nor aiming at elegance of style when it is content to call up a simple image or scene or to express a simple sentiment it is not without vigour hence it is more successful in short pieces than in long-winded compositions and grave subjects and the roundel and the ballad constructed on a single airy theme all grace depends on tone rhythm and vision in fact the more the artistic song of the time approaches the popular song the greater is its charm the end of the fourteenth century is a turning point in the relations between music and lyrical poetry the song of the preceding period was intimately linked with musical recitation the common type of the lyrical poet of the middle ages is always the poet composer william de marchand used to compose the melodies of his poems 
he also fixed the customary lyrical forms of his time rondels ballads and so forth he invented the debat the contention of different parties on a moot point his rondels and ballads are very airy simple in form and thought they have little color all these are merits for a poem that is sung should not be too expressive here is an example again in translation on parting from you i leave you my heart and i go away lamenting and weeping to serve you without ever retracting and by my soul i shall indeed have no peace till my return being thus discomforted in eustace de champs we no longer find composer and poet united hence his ballads are much more vivid and highly coloured than Machamps, therefore often more interesting and yet of an inferior poetical style the rondel because of its very structure preserved the airy and fluent character of a song to be set to music even after poets ceased to be composers in the author's translation do you love me indeed tell me by your soul if i love you more than anything will you love me indeed god puts so much goodness in you that it is balm therefore i proclaim myself yours but how much will you love me these lines are by jean Michonneau. the simple and pure talent of christine de passan lends itself admirably to these fugitive effects she versified without the facility characteristic of the epoch without much variety of form or thought in a subdued tone and with a slight touch of melancholy her poems remind us of those ivory tablets of the fourteenth century which always represent the same motifs a hunting scene episodes of the roman de la rose or of tristan and isolde yet always retain a certain freshness and impeccable though conventional gracefulness when in christine courtly sweetness goes hand in hand with the simplicity of the popular song we hear an accent of the most exquisite purity we print the dialogue of two lovers who meet after a separation in the author's translation you are most welcome my love now embrace me and kiss me and how have you been since your departure healthy and at ease have you always been here come beside me sit down and tell me how you have been well or not for of this i want to have an account lady to whom i am bound more than to any other may it displease no one know that desire so curbed me that i never had such discomfort nor did i take pleasure in anything far from you love who tames hearts said to me remain faithful to me for of this i want to have an account so you kept your oath to me i thank you much for it by saint nicoise and as you came back safe and sound we shall have joy enough now be appeased and tell me if you know by how much the grief you had from it exceeds that which my heart has suffered for of this i want to have an account more grief than you as i think i had but tell me without miscalculation how many kisses shall i have for it for of this i want to have an account here is a girl deploring the absence of her lover in translation 
it is a month to-day since my lover departed my heart remains gloomy and silent it is a month to-day good-bye he said i am going since then he has not spoken to me it is a month to-day here are words of consolation addressed to a lover in translation friend weep no more for i am so touched with pity that my heart gives itself up to your sweet friendship change your bearing for god's sake be sad no longer and show me a cheerful face i am willing whatever you will what gives these verses their abiding womanly charm is their spontaneous tenderness their simplicity devoid of all pomp and pretension christine was content to follow the inspiration of her heart but this is also the reason why her poems so often show the defect characteristic of the poetry and music of all epochs of feeble inspiration that of exhausting all their vigour in the opening lines how many poems do we find with a fresh and striking theme which begin like a blackbird's song only to lose themselves in thin rhetoric after the first stanza the poet or in music the composer after stating his theme had come to the end of his inspiration we are constantly disillusioned in this way by most of the fifteenth-century poets here is an example taken from the ballads of christine de pazan in translation when everybody comes back from the army why do you stay behind yet you know that i pledged you my loyal love to keep one expects the motif of the dead lover who reappears but we are deceived after two more insignificant stanzas the poem finishes what freshness is there in the first lines of rossart's debat du cheval et du lévrier in translation frossart came back from scotland on a horse which was grey he led a white greyhound on a leash alas said the greyhound i am tired grizel when shall we rest it is time we were feeding after this the charm is lost the author in short had no other inspiration than a moment's vision of the two animals conversing the motifs are occasionally of incomparable grandeur and suggestive force but the development remains most feeble the theme of pierre mochot in his dance a vogels was masterly the everlasting dance of the human race about the thrones of the three blind deities love fortune and death he only succeeded in working it up into very mediocre poetry an anonymous poem entitled exclamation des ossantes innocentes begins by making the charnel-houses of the famous churchyard speak in translation we are the bones of the poor dead here heaped up by measured mounds broken fractured without rule or measure what an exordium for a weird lament yet what follows is a most commonplace memento mori all these themes have only been realized visually such vision may supply an artist with material for a most grand conception and consummate execution it is insufficient for a poet end of section twenty six